Great. Turn your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of John, chapter number 17, please. John, chapter number 17. And um, I've got, got to be done in 15 minutes. We need to hurry. So, uh-huh, if, I, if I'm not done, it's because you haven't found your place yet. So, uh, you need to hurry. Find your place. Hey, it's good to be here today. Good. Uh, boy, isn't this weather beautiful? 103. That's great. Okay, good. Okay. We're so glad that our visitors with us today. We thank you for being here today. And uh, if you have any questions about the service and don't like it, please see Brother Jim behind me. He, he's in the complaint department. He handles all of that kind of stuff. John, uh, John 17, please. Our series, our theme, Why Christianity is Special. And if you don't realize that today, after you've seen uh, the presentation, 10 years ago, another religion manifest itself in the borders of America. Now we have some new words that we use quite regular. We did not use prior to that. Terrorist, jihad, bin Laden, Koran. Now we have ideologies in our schools, our public schools that we did not have before 10 years ago. They will not allow our Bible in. They will not allow our preachers in. But they'll allow everything else in the world in. New words have surfaced like tolerance, political correctness, racial profiling. You folk look like those are dirty words. I didn't come up with them. But since 10 years ago, those words have surfaced. Not only surfaced, but become very familiar. We don't know the definition, but we use them regularly. Let me read you something. Why I believe that Christianity is special. John chapter 17, verse 1, the context and the setting is this. In chapter 13, Jesus went into the upper room and began to teach his disciples some things and to comfort them and console them because in 12 short hours from chapter 13, Jesus is going to be hung on a cross brutally, brutally, merciless, inhuman, strapped to a cross by rusty nails, flung to the hole, pulled and jolted all the bones out of joint seemingly, and hung there for six long, cruciated hours. He knows this is going to be reality in chapter 13. And so far... 13, 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is teaching the disciples, consoling them. Chapter number 15, they leave and began to go from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will kneel and pray 
as if it were great drops of blood, being in agony because of the sin debt that will be piled upon his shoulders just a few hours from now. But before he gets to the garden, somewhere between the garden and the upper room, Jesus stops to pray. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 is not the Lord's Prayer, although we've taught our kids, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. That, we have been told, is the Lord's Prayer. That is not the Lord's Prayer. That is the model by which we are to pray. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. The longest prayer our Lord prayed in all of his earthly life is John 17. After he has told them in Luke, I mean in John 16, verse 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and now, and now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own and will le- and and shall leave me alone and i am uh, not alone because the father with me these things have i spoken unto you that e- you might have peace in the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world so jesus has told them that difficult times is ahead jt zorns can you do the outline Reply. No. (laughs) There went my clock. Don't put things up here for me to read. Don't go. So in the face and during the tragedy and the heartbreak, the uncertainty, the faithlessness, the Despair, Jesus stops just a little while to pray for his disciples. And he says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. Now there's a lot of truth in those two lines. Number one, God is in heaven. Number two, regardless of what the other folks say, heaven is up. So if heaven is up, heaven is not on the earth. And the next time somebody tells you, you don't know where heaven is, look at them as if they were stupid, but don't say anything. Because you can be a good Christian. And look at them like they were stupid and not say anything. I'm just kidding you. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast 
sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self and with the glory which I had with thee. Now notice, before the world was. You think Muhammad can say that? That's why Confucius is confused. You'll get that after a while. He said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. Verse 9. I pray for them. Isn't that nice? You know who's praying for you today if you're saved? You said, preacher, would you pray for me? I wouldn't even bother asking the preacher to pray for me. I don't know if his preacher gets sky high, knee high, or head high. I know somebody's prayers that do get there. It's Jesus. I pray for them. Difficulties ahead. Despair ahead. Despondency ahead. Tragedies ahead. By the way, our Lord knows your despair tomorrow. Your sorrow next week. Your crisis next month. Your tragedies. He knows all about them. And thank God he's praying for you. I don't want you to get too excited now about the blessings of God. Because you'd have to use some of the enthusiasm you're going to waste on the cowboys tonight. Dear God, I got more hope in the cowgirls winning the game than I do them. <laughs> I pray for them. Look up here. Say amen. amen. Nah, that ain't going to get it. You get more excited over winning a cupcake at the county fair than you just did over Jesus praying for you. Now listen, I pray for them. Could I have an amen? We make a Pentecostal bunch out of this crowd before it's over. We might have somebody even waving at you. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. No. You say, I don't like that. Do you remember when Jesus texted you and asked you if it'd be all right? Where were you when you missed the phone call? Our Lord called you and asked you if it'd be all right if he just prayed for his kids and not the devil's. 
That ain't even written down in the introduction. Shoot, I may not even get through that today. I pray for them. Don't forget that. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all are thine. And thine are mine. (laughs) Yes. And I am glorified in them. I'm afraid some of you get too happy or I'd read the rest of it. Some of you might get out of joint and even say praise the Lord or praise the Luger or something like that. But I want you to know that this is the Lord's prayer. And he is praying for his own in verse 8 and 9. He's praying for their safety in verse 15. And he's praying for their sanctification in verse number 17. All of us in this place today are on a journey of a lifelong struggle. Some of you kids, I got good news for you. It's not going to get any better. When you get over the zits... You'll just fall right into the pits. (laughs) Amen. And when you get everything in shape just like you want it, then it starts to fall. You get it stretched and peeled back and looking good, and then it'll start to wrinkle. Listen to me today. Not one of us in this place are going to be free from the lifelong struggle in this life. And that lifelong struggle is not how you pay your bills, or not if your credit cards are overloaded. Your lifelong struggle, number listen to me, is to live. We fight disease and corruption. We tend to give in to old age. Every step we take is closer to an appointment that all of us must keep. Death rides its pale horse across this nation and around the world and grabs and takes out of this life and throws into eternity well-meaning, good, honest people. You'll not duck or detour or delay death in your life. God has built within this anatomy the desire to live. Cut one limb off and it will not die. Cut two limbs, three limbs off and it will not die. Many folks go to the hospital and see a car accident victim, and they, they say, oh, that is a miracle that they are alive. No, it is not. That is God doing in the body what the body was made to do, and that is to live. We fight trauma after trauma. We've even got wards in our hospitals called trauma wards. And the reason we have trauma wards is because this body 
has built in it the capacity to live. This body will fight for life. And we fight every day of our life. Traumas, diseases, germs, and viruses. I don't know why every time I go to the doctor, it's a strange virus. Preacher, you've got a virus we've never witnessed before. But preacher, it's not deadly. Just pay the receptionist. If they've never seen it before, how do they know I'm not going to die before I get to the parking lot? A friend of mine was cooning and sliding down off the bank of the creek and laid his hand down and a copperhead snake bit him on the hand. The copperhead snake was hanging on his hand. He took it off, went down to Cleburne Hospital. They gave him a shot and said, now, sir, you can go home. He said, no, I'm not going home. If I'm going to die, I want to do it here. I got a better chance of living here than I do at home. No, I'm not going home. All of us have that deep longing. Every day, we cannot evade it or deter it. So why not, lest you and I look beyond the grave and so desire to live there as we do here. Oh, you say, I'm not interested in that. They don't have any cars and credit over there. They don't have any four-bedroom houses with two baths. No, they just got mansions over there. They have streets of gold over there. Walls of jasper. You say, well, H-E-B had missed me. (laughs) What would Walmart do without me? Can you imagine now, you know how I set this? Fix it because I don't want to go over two or three hours. <laughs> Mary, if you got your phone, you can call, hon. You got your phone, you just call Jim. Tell him, kick the preacher, it's time to quit. <laughs> imagine with me now just a minute, and I may not get through with this, Imagine with me just a minute, had you been in the Twin Towers on the top floor? Imagine with me just a minute, if you'd been one of those we'd been reading about you in the obituary today. Imagine with me with all the car accidents that happened in the world this weekend, what if you'd been one of the victims? Are you prepared today to get in your car, drive out of our parking lot, 
not prepared forever. You've got air conditioning in your car. You've got layback seats, cruise control, and automatic windows. But you can't take any of that on the other side of the grave. And in this prayer, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, Jesus opened up three events, three events, three wonderful, indisputable, unquestionable events that we all need to take a look at today. Because when Jesus was praying this Lord's Prayer. Now notice, he was praying to the Father. Now ask, was anybody listening when he prayed it? He was not only praying to the Father, but he was praying for the benefit of those who listened. And Jesus opened three Marvelous doors to explain to a person what life eternal is all about. Look in verse 3. And this is life. Look up here. Life. Are you enjoying life? You tired of life? You say, yeah, but it's better than the alternative. Life. Life. Now look at the next word. Life. What's the next word? Somebody tell me. Eternal. Say what? Eternal. Say what? Eternal. This is life eternal. Notice what he says now. Watch it, watch it, watch it. That they might know the, the only true, don't say Allah, does it? Don't say Buddha, does it? The only true God. That's not politically correct, but that is biblically true. The only true God. Okay? Eternal life is that you might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is a relationship, a personal relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. A lot of folk don't understand that. They just think that eternal life or being saved is a fire escape. Uh, maybe a, a parachute, if you please, spiritually. That when your plane of life begin to look like it's crashing, you grab the ripcord of life and call the preacher. He rushes to your bedside. And before you fall, crash into the world and down into hell, you pull the parachute. And that's all there is to it, being saved. Now, being a Christian 
It's not a bunch of stinking rules of do's and don'ts. Being one of Christ's kids is not how good you are or how much you can give or how much you can do. Being one of God's kids is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's moving us back from where Adam moved in the Garden of Eden. Can you say amen? It's, it's justifying what we don't, cannot justify ourselves. And so I just believe for just a minute, I believe a person can honestly know God. Do you know God? Do you really, really? Know God? Or do you just know about God? Do you know God? How do we get to... Did you get that face? I've got three minutes. <laughs> Who's, whose phone is it? That's Brother Pickett's. Look at his face. It's red. You see who Brother Pickett's God is. It's live fit to it. How do we get to know God? Is it possible for you and I to know intimately and personally? The God of all creation. Is he just a figment of our imagination? Is he just some black words on white pages in a book called the Bible? Is he no more than just a thought, a passing glance? Or maybe just something we act like we know on Sunday sometime? Eternal life is a personal, knowledgeable, intimate relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. It's the first time I ever just preached the introduction. I'll close with this. Notice verse 1. Please look. And the Bible said, and I, I, want, I want you to just see this, and I, I, I'll be done. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lift up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. How many times have we read that chapter and we just passed over those words? The hour has come. If I'd look back in my Bible just a few pages to chapter 7 and verse 30, the Bible said, And they sought to take him 
But no man laid hands on him because his hour was not come. Chapter 8. And you'll find also a verse probably about verse 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasure as he taught in the temple. And no man did lay hands on him for his hour was not yet come. Chapter 13 and verse 1. I want you to notice this. We'll go now. I'm, I'm going to go. Honest. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. And that's just a wee few hours he's going to get on the cross and die for your sins. In verse number 17, he looks at the disciples. He said, now I told you over in verse 8, verse 7, it wasn't the right time. The devil's crowd couldn't touch me. The devil's crowd couldn't get me. They couldn't do one thing because my hour had not come. In the temple, I told you, It wasn't time. In the upper room, I told you, it's just 12 hours away. And the night before Calvary, he said, the hour has come. What hour? The hour that was planned in eternity past, because he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Which hour? The hour that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where he said, And his seed shall bruise thy heel, but you shall bruise his head. What hour? The hour that was performed in Bethlehem's manger when old Simeon looked at that little baby and said, now I've seen the salvation of the Lord. Now I can depart. What hour? The hour that was prepared in the home of Joseph and Mary. What hour? The hour that was pictured in Jordan's Muddy waters when they put him down into the watery grave and buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It was that hour that Jesus was portraying when he was baptized. What hour? The hour that was provoked in the Garden of Gethsemane just a few hours when he knelt and said, Oh, Father, if thy will, let this cup pass from me. But if not, thy will be done. What hour? The hour that was performed on Calvary's cross. He stood that day and said, it is finished. Yes, thank God it was finished. The fountain was opened. The gap over hell was bridged. And the way to provide sinners a way to God was open. And now everybody in this place 
can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and get to know God in a personal way. That's the introduction to this is the life eternal.